it's not your quitting sinning that's going to gain your righteousness or make you fit for the kingdom of God. You need to be changed from the inside out. And there's there's no outward quitting of anything that can that can do that, actually. In my case, and I realize this is an experience and not all experiences are the same, but I wasn't trying to attain anything because I didn't even know that that I needed to. You know, like I didn't go out on Monday morning after those meetings thinking that, that, oh, I got, I got saved and therefore I should probably not drink alcohol or whatever. Right. That was, that was the last thing on my mind. What was on my mind is these, these truths that I had learned over the weekend. And I was, I was interested in reading the Bible and seeking what God meant when he said things in his word and when, what Jesus said. And that transformed my life. You know, it wasn't, I didn't, I didn't get up out of bed on Monday morning with the idea of now I ought to live differently. Right. And yet I did. Well, here we are sitting uh, 1,200 kilometers apart. How many miles would that be? 1,200, 1,300 kilometers, I think, is what I saw on the the maps. You're in Iowa? Yeah, I I would think that would translate to maybe about 800 miles, 700, 800 miles, okay. somewhere like that. Somewhere below Manitoba, I'm I'm guessing if I look on the map, Minneapolis, close to uh, west of Minneapolis. Yeah, we're uh, three hours straight south of Minneapolis. Okay, mm-hmm. so I'm I don't know you, and I know the audience doesn't know you, but I know a lot of people that tune in are either like my type of Mennonite, the old colony Mennonite, and I didn't grow up. I think I, I don't think I've really shared this clearly enough to some people. I didn't grow up with any of the limitations as far as technology goes, except for my parents didn't have a tv in the house other than that we drove cars we went to public school i wore store-bought clothes my mom looked mennonite and wore the head covering and had a like a plain looking dress on but other than that you know i i I wasn't allowed to wear labels on my shirts but i was just a regular kid at school nobody would have known that i was uh, a mennonite necessarily except for in our local community there's a lot of uh, what they called mexican mennonites our great-grandparents moved to Canada from overseas and then they migrated down to Mexico and then my parents and a bunch of others moved back up and a lot of them settled in this Elmer area and so we grew up old colony Mennonite but there wasn't much old about it and a lot of my friends had TVs and video games and all that kind of stuff so we weren't raised quite as restrictive as some of the other groups and you yourself were an old order like a horse and buggy type of Mennonite yeah, we we were. And that's interesting. When I think of Old Colony, I just automatically think of that as having been similar to maybe the way we were raised. Uh, but we were what they called Grofdale Conference, uh, which is a horse and bur- buggy, very similar to Amish in a lot of ways. Um, but we, you know, Lancaster County, Pennsylvania. And uh, yeah, we didn't have TV or radio. We did have electricity. Oh, you did? Um, yeah, we we were allowed to have electricity, but uh, no cars. You know, our tractors um, had to be on on steel wheels, and uh, you know some some things like that. Um, but uh, yeah, no tech, not no no. We had uh, landline phones, of course, but no internet or or cell phones. We weren't allowed to have and that kind of thing. So, okay, yeah. yeah. So my parents would have grown up in Mexico, and there they were raised still quite restricted. There's a uh, a lot of older Mennonites, you know, 60, 70, 80 years old, who got a ban from the church in Mexico or in Bolivia or, you know, Paraguay somewhere for driving a tractor with rubber tires or for driving a pickup truck. Then they moved to Canada where everybody drives trucks and uses tractors, and they would still hold to that ban because this man had maybe not repented properly to the church, right? So it's kind of, <laughs> it sounds comical. But yeah. uh, so we have Amish in our area who are very restrictive. They have no electricity, no uh, none of the technological stuff, except for now they can use battery powered stuff. So they have almost everything we have, just all with DeWalt batteries. Right. Yeah, I'm I'm uh, somewhat familiar with those type. There's a group not far from here. As a matter of fact, I uh, moved. Um, I was driving truck at the time and I moved a family from our area here back to your area, actually. Oh. So I was somewhere close to, I don't know exactly uh, the town even, it's been a while, um, but I was in that that general area. And okay. those are the Amish that were um, a part uh, that we know out here, that's that type. 
interestingly enough, though, uh, Dan, the Mennonites, that's one thing that was different than, than the Amish. We did not practice the ban uh, at all. So there was no, there was just, you know, we got excommunicated if we uh, did something against those rules, but there was no no lasting effect to that. If okay. Interesting. Yeah, that's uh, something that, you know, obviously church discipline is a biblical thing when someone is disobeying God, you know, like First Corinthians chapter five, in such cases like that, there should be some type of actual handing someone over to Satan. But this idea of this long lasting ban, not for breaking biblical commands, not for, you know, fornication, but for disobeying church rules in, in as far as clothing goes or um, external things like technology, right? Right. Yep. That's exactly right. Man. So you, you grew up in Lancaster and uh, we're just, you know, out in the farm doing farm type chores most of your life or what? Yep. Uh, my dad actually, we had a, he had a buggy shop. He built uh, new buggies and, and fixed buggies for the Mennonite community. And uh, being he had the buggy shop as young children, we worked on a neighboring dairy farm. Uh, that's, that's what we did. I mean, after school, we'd go over there and we'd help milk cows and feed the heifers and all that good stuff. Um, helped uh, in the harvest and the haymaking and all that stuff. So yeah, farm related. Uh, in 1996, then um, my parents moved out here to Iowa from Lancaster County. And uh, he resumed his buggy shop out here and we moved out, me and my uh, younger brother, all my older siblings were married and out of the house. So two of them lived out here, uh, uh, moved out here prior to us moving out. And uh, so, yeah, we moved out with them and, and so there was buggies. Mm -hmm. There's already a community there as well. Uh, a young community. Yes. It had started uh, my wife's family. They moved out here uh, to Iowa in 19. No, I'm not even sure. 1991, I think, which they were the second year. So I think the community kind of started in 1990 uh, out here. We moved in 1996, so it was it was okay. a few years old. Yep. Small community. Now, um, as far as obviously you guys were super religious, we were too in a lot of ways, like never missed church service. And we were, you know, we had uh, special Mennonite holidays that we got off of public school for. Um, certain days of the year where we just thought oh, that's just a Mennonite holiday. We don't know why, but that's what we do, right? So we were we were very obviously religious, um, and the thoughts of God were on some of our minds. But a lot of times it was just, well, obviously we know God, the rest of the world kind of doesn't, right? What was your initial influence or your thoughts about who God is as far as that goes? Yeah, uh, in that way... Um... I always kind of question how God could be just because I was under the impression that, you know, it was it was us, um, Grafteo Conference Mennonites, and then there was the world. That, that you know, that was the <laughs> distinction that that was kind. Of, I don't know if it was taught, but it was assumed, maybe. Yes. Yeah. And uh, so I just I just thought, boy, it's unfortunate if you get born into into a different family than one of these because you know how how can we. Um, and I don't know exactly how that came to be or why we thought that way, but um, so I kind of kind of would question God in in that, like why 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 so narrow? Why why would it be that way? Yeah. So you personally, did you have a like just a healthy fear of God, or do you found did you find that it was um, a very restrictive, legalistic type of mindset, like a lot of Mennonite boys? Um. You know, to tell the truth, uh, Dan, I don't know that I was really that interested in knowing about okay. God. I mean, it was um, our family didn't talk about God. Um, my dad would read the Bible and uh, he would sing. He was a song leader in church. Um, he would he would he was a singing school teacher. Uh, he taught German in our school where I was a student. Um, but, uh, you know, sitting down and discussing and and talking about ideas about God, that was totally non-existent. So okay. uh, growing up, especially in my younger years, that wasn't even really on my radar, actually. You know, it was it was it was just something that that we didn't really discuss. And I, I don't really have a lot of, you know, thoughts about how I viewed God until in my, you know, later teenage years and early 20s. Interesting. So the, the all the church activity, the going to church, and I, you said earlier before we started recording, I believe that um, you grew up speaking German, but at uh, church services, mostly uh, Pennsylvania Dutch was spoken. Yeah, yeah. So our, our church services would have been, um, our songs were in German. Okay. Uh, the, the reading of the scripture was in, in, out of a German Bible. 
Um, but then the preaching was, depending on who the preacher was, um, some would have a pretty heavy influence of, you know, Pennsylvania Dutch to where we could understand it quite well. But okay. but still, when they were quoting scripture and reading out of the Bible, and when I read out of the Bible, um, we, oftentimes it was in German, and I we had a limited comprehension of German. Um, it was taught in school. Uh, but very, I think we had one, uh, class every week, you know, so, um, we, I, I didn't have a big understanding, a large understanding, even when we listened to the preaching and stuff, I didn't, uh, comprehend it. And that, that still is a, a thing today. We hear that a lot from other people coming out is that they, they didn't know, they didn't understand what they were saying. How astounding. And when you think about, uh, yeah. our forefathers, Menno Simons and many of the others that stepped out of during the reformation. They wanted to make the Bible more accessible, like Martin Luther translated the Bible into German so that the common man could read it and understand and Tyndale in, in English and so that it, so that people could actually read and understand themselves because the Catholic Church would would speak in Latin and the, the common person couldn't understand. I myself grew up speaking almost entirely English because I was born and raised in Canada, but I could understand and speak low German if I had to, but I very rarely needed to. My parents would speak low German, Plotdeutsch. And I would respond in English and we got along just fine. Then you go to, to the church service and all the songs again are in high German, which I had kind of learned to read in Sunday school. But the parents would go to church, the kids would go to Sunday school and we would read, learn to read German there. So I could read German. When I got baptized, I could read the catechism and read it in high German, uh, but really not understand much of what I was reading. Right. So it's uh, it's interesting that we went right back, you know, 400 years later now. If anybody said, hey, can we do something in English? It was shot down immediately. No, it shouldn't be so accessible. It shouldn't be so understandable. This is more for the preachers, you know, get out of the Bible yourself. That should be something that preachers look into, right? Is that yeah. kind of similar? Very much, very much. You know, we had, uh, um, you know, since we've kind of been removed of that now, I've talked with, I'm still quite involved. Uh, I'm by trade an auctioneer. Um, and so I'm involved with a lot of different people. And uh, I have some friends that are still, you know, Grofdale Conference Mennonite, like we were gro grown up and, and we talk and, and visit and, and I challenge them on things. <laughs> and mm -hmm. One of the just recently I was talking with one and, and I was like, you know, about studying the Bible. And he said, oh, we would never encourage our children to do that, uh, to read that on their own. There's, that's what you go to church for and have the preacher uh, mm -hmm. explain the Bible. We would never encourage them because that's where people get get uh, off track when you yeah, start yeah. studying it yourself much you know? learning so, doth make thee mad right yeah. <laughs> uh, so yeah it's something and that was actually uh, um for myself my own uh, testimony um when we that was so 20 uh let's see in 2001 so 22 years ago about i went to auction school that's uh that's kind of a story in itself but um and I became slowly became a little busier with my auction business and we were horse and buggy Mennonite. So a lot of my auction jobs were, you know, anywhere. So I'd hire drivers to take me there. Mm -hmm. And uh, I got tired of that after a couple of years and I wanted to get a, uh, a car so that I could go to these places without having to pay these drivers to sit there all day and then come back. Right. Not expensive. And uh, so to do that, the, the logical step for me was to go to the, the uh, Horning Mennonite Church, which is uh, also very similar, but the, the biggest difference is that they allow a car. I mean, they still okay. still very restrictive on technology and radio and TV and all that stuff, uh, but they would allow a car rather than a horse and buggy. So we went to that church. Well, uh, I wasn't seeking God or anything. Uh, you know, I was just I was just doing life, you know. And but there they they sang and they preached in English. Oh boy! And I remember. Um, so many times on the way home and and the, our kids will remember this too um on the way home from church we would i'd look at my wife and i'd say hey did you know that that's what that says <laughs> and, and that you know and the the bible and the word started becoming alive to us it was astounding and astonishing we learned things and even though we were still not necessarily um seeking for like we didn't realize that we were lost yet yeah, you know, but it, but this was intriguing and new and interesting. So. Yeah, yeah, interesting. I know the same very similar thing happened to me is that we were always we kind of had that similar mindset that old colony is pretty much where it's at. We wouldn't have said that there isn't Christians outside of the old colony group, but this is the ideal and probably the best place. And we would never say that we are Christian because that would be to presume that we had been good enough 
to yeah. somehow satisfy God's requirements. So we would always just, you know, if somebody else calls us Christian, then they complimented us, but we would never dare say it ourselves, right? Yeah. And um, yeah, I kind of forget where I was going to go with that thought. About well, I was talking about the English, about talking about or, or learning the word in English. Oh yes, yes, right. After I became uh, married and went through the baptism classes, got married, and then I started working with some guys who were listening to audio messages. And there was a split at the old colony that happened right at that time, and uh, they started passing around CDs, some of from the the charity ministries out in Pennsylvania, and um, or other audios that my my cousin I was working with at the time he was listening to, and I started hearing things about the Holy Spirit. And it, it didn't even connect to me that obviously we had heard about the Holy Spirit in German too, but the Holy Spirit works in our lives and he does things. I get, it was completely foreign to me. I never had considered these types of concepts. So I can identify with that completely where it wasn't like I wanted it yet, but it was, uh, well, that does say that in the Bible, doesn't it? And that's, that's nice that the Mennonites, the Amish, the, these people, they, they're so ingrained that the Bible is the word of God. You probably, probably shouldn't read it, but it is the truth. And so yep. when you do finally open it up or you hear it expounded, it's like, well, I can't argue with that. Right. So, yeah, you know, the, yeah, the, one of the nice things is, you know, we were taught that the scripture is the word of God. So, so one natural thing that happened then once we, once we started finding this, these concepts, not, not just the word for word stuff, but the concepts that were in there, because now we could actually like put one plus one together and come up with two by ourselves. Mm -hmm. And it, so it became alive and we were, we were ready to believe it because we were taught that it wasn't that I was, that we were being rebellious against it. It just was that we didn't know we, we weren't thirsty because it was just, it was dry and, and old because we didn't understand it. Okay. So you said that to me on the phone one time that you were married at about 2019, right? Mm -hmm. You've been married 21 years now. <clears throat> Yep. Or 22. Yep. Okay. <laughs> 22, I guess it would be. Yeah. Yeah. And how long since, uh, since you got to understand the gospel, maybe you could kind of tell, uh, tell what brought you to that point, that understanding you had gone to this church where the English is now being spoken, but, uh, still not really seeking. Yeah. Uh, well, so, so we started, you know, we were part of that, that church now where they, where they preached in English and, and, um, I'm just trying to remember now real quick uh, the exact chain of events there, but um, I mean, I'm leaving a chunk out here, but fast forward a little bit. We got invited um, to some revival meetings. Um, and the reason I got invited, I was kind of, there, there was a couple guys that got, that got saved, um, found the Lord. And um, they uh, invited this Delbert Schrock, who was at our church this Sunday and uh, uh preaching they invited him to come out and and uh, preach to us for a weekend and uh these these two or three uh of my friends um asked me if i could come to the meetings to record the services and to provide provide the sound system since i was an auctioneer i had all a little bit of knowledge in that and had some of the equipment that was needed and uh, and i i sat there every evening you know recording hmm. these messages and uh, I got born again uh, that, that weekend. And the crazy thing is I wasn't even, again, I wasn't there because I was seeking God, but um, the, the truth of God works whether you're seeking or not. Yeah. And, and his redemptive power is such that um, you, the, the word is seed and it, all it needs is a place to land that is, that is not choking it out or, or, you know, that's just open and ready. Um, matter of fact, the Bible talks that the, that the good ground is an, an honest and an open heart. Mm -hmm. and, and that's what I, what, what I believe I had. I wasn't opposed to it. I just didn't know. And I wasn't necessarily even seeking. Okay. Uh, but God and it, and it completely, completely changed our lives. Um, I guess so. How long ago was that? That was, uh, that was about 2013. So nine, 10, almost 10 years ago. Now. So you'd been married for a good, good while already. Yeah, yeah, we've been married a while. Um, and uh, I mean, yeah, there's there's a lot of ways that there's a lot of our life that's being left out here. We were very, very poor. I'm a visionary type of person. So um, we would bounce from one thing to the other. And there was not a lot of stability. Um, my wife often felt alone and, and struggling with the finances and trying to pay bills with no money and, and children. It, keep was, it was a, yeah, it was a really, really uh, really, really tough part of life. Um, 
And then when I got, when I got saved, some of that got, got changed. Um, I had been in, I was, I was a heavy drinker and, uh, into pornography and, and other sorts of iniquity. And, um, that got, that got completely changed when I, when I moved or when I got born again, when I got saved. And, uh, and all of a sudden my wife, um, you know, she didn't trust me, um, for the decisions that I made and the, the, the way I did life and stuff. So that it still took a long time for us to kind of get on, on one page with this whole thing to where we could actually work together and work through things and, and, uh, and, uh, grow, you know? Yeah. 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 That's when you've ingrained years of mistrust and uh, hardship, right? You're, you're so used to that. And then maybe your wife didn't even get saved right away or. Yeah. She had been saved prior to me. Okay. And, uh, she would, um, she had a set of, uh, I think it was a set or a CD or, or maybe it was actually a cassette tape. Even I can't remember for sure. One of those old historic things that yeah. we used to <laughs> And, uh, uh, but it was of, uh, Michael Pearl's teaching, uh, sin no more. Okay. I think it's what it was one of the earlier audio ones that he had, I believe yeah. anyway. And, uh, and she would, she would tell me that the, some of the truths that she was learning there. And I would be like, well, you know, it's, it's not, it can't be that simple. You know, if, if that's, if that's how salvation is, then the church got something really screwed up because they don't, you know, there's, <laughs> there's more to it than that, you know, and I, I just kind of brush that off. Okay. Uh, and she was trying to, and her testimony is such that she said that when she finally gave up trying to get me converted is when God actually uh, moved and changed my life. Isn't that how even, even, you know, we know that salvation is by grace through faith and it's not of works. We actually have to cease working and trust in grace uh, in order to be saved personally. But when it comes to someone else, we really want to work and work and work for for their salvation. So in your wife's case, she had to also give up and stop stop trying to work for your salvation. That's interesting. So yeah. I was going to ask that that message that you heard that weekend of meetings, do you remember specifically what it was that kind of brought you over the edge, so to speak, and gave you a clear understanding of the gospel? Uh, yeah, he was preaching out of Romans. And um, what actually, what I what I think that the, the idea earlier, uh, Dan, I had mentioned that, you know, I, I wasn't rebellious. Um, I, I wasn't a rebellious child, um, even when I was younger. Um, it was just that I was un, uninterested. And I thought, you know, I was I was born at Groffdale Conference and I and I was, you know, for the most part, still uh, attached to that kind of teaching. And so I, I didn't really have a need for anything. And what what he was teaching uh, that weekend actually was out of Romans six, seven, eight. Um, and he was talking about how that uh, there's nothing short of the blood of Jesus that will prepare us for eternity. Mm-hmm. He, said he was teaching us about all the all the good things that we do, uh, kind of like what Paul talks about. Uh, is it in Philippians where he goes through in Philippians three, where he goes through and he talks about, you know, that he's a, a Jew and he was a, he, all his history. And then he says he counts that all as nothing. And 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 he looks forward to this um, this new thing. And and uh, that that's kind of what he was teaching. And it, it, I became aware of the fact that what I thought I was doing um, in order to please God so that I might eventually one day spend eternity with him was actually not going to do the trick. And when the truth was presented, um, I just, I just drank it right up. And I, we, it was, it's funny because we were not familiar with the term born again or, or saved. That was not a term that we talked about. And, uh, I remember, uh, very, very clearly it was, I worked, I worked on a farm. It was, uh, just, a. it was a, uh, native here in Iowa and they had beer in the fridge, you know, it was a, they were, they were Catholic, uh, people and, or kinda. Yep. <laughs> and, um, and, uh, so it was a, a day or two later, I came home from work and I, I told my wife and, and I, I said, um, I, you know, you know, Christine, I wonder if I got born again or something. And, uh, because the desire for alcohol and, and porn and stuff was just conspicuously missing. I see. And it was, I was converted from the inside out. I didn't even, I didn't even know what had taken place at the time. And I learned a lot of those concepts afterward because now I was thirsty. Um, you know, God gave me a, a, a heart of flesh. He replaced my heart of stone with a heart of flesh, one that can feel and think. And uh, I was just reading 
Now, yesterday in Psalms chapter 40, where it says that he brought me up also out of an horrible pit, out of the miry clay and set my feet upon a rock. That is exactly what he did. And he actually did that without any permission from me. I just believe <laughs> and it and it and it changed my life. Interesting. So there was no was there any um, like a big turning or a coming to the altar or some type of deep confession or was it just a simple I recognize the truth of the gospel and then you re realize a few days later that you had been saved. Mm -hmm. that, and that's what it was. The, the, Is that right? Yeah, I, I didn't, uh, you know, I didn't, um, I didn't, uh, the only repentance I made was that I believed differently than what I had believed prior. So you, you started off very clear and good in that way then. I would, I would say many, many people get so distracted by coming to an altar, by confessing all kinds of sins, praying, praying and praying and trying desperately to get to the right condition of heart in order for God to accept them, right? Where you, you understood my faith was here. I got to put it over there, right? It's, it's a much clearer, simpler way to start. Hopefully yeah, that, I, I mean, that helped I you immediately to, oh, sorry. That helped you immediately to be clear of some of those deep temptations you were facing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, you know, uh, we were not used to the idea. Like, um, I know this is a struggle with people that grew up in real Christian homes. It's kind of a struggle sometimes to know when, when, or if they got saved because, um, you know, that's this idea of going to the altar and stuff. And I'm not saying that's, that's necessarily wrong if that's where a guy is. Um, but, um, just simply the idea of of believing the truth instead of what you had believing, uh, and and uh, that is actually the true definition of of repentance. Repentance uh, toward God and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, yeah. right? Yep, that's all there is. And uh, so, yeah, that that power is very real. Um, there, I, there's nothing that can, can replace that. There. Mm -hmm. And, and it's not, some people would think that that's insufficient because they, li they like the idea of repentance from sins because too many Christians will claim the blood of Jesus. They'll claim that they're saved and then they continue right on sinning like they did before and just say, oh, yeah, I'm saved. It's all forgiven. Right. And so then in order to counteract that loose Christianity, that lascivious type of Christianity, they try to make getting saved more difficult which is a huge mistake, right? Because when you, now you make, you put more onus upon the person to get saved right. And instead of drawing attention to Jesus, like it ought to be done, once someone truly has their heart fixated on Jesus and is trusting in the work that he has done, like, like in your experience, much of those sins will just dissipate. It'll be like, I don't want that anymore. I've got a new heart, right? And so instead of trying to make it harder to get saved, I think, Put the focus and attention on Jesus where it ought to be, right? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Because it's not, um, it's not the the absence of sin or the, yeah, it's not it's not your quitting sinning that's going to gain your righteousness or make you um, uh, fit for the kingdom of God. Mm -hmm. You know, it's not necessarily that you you need to be changed from the inside out, and there's there's no outward quitting of anything that can that can do that actually, right. You know, yeah. it will like, like in my case, and I realize this is an experience and not all experiences are the same, but, um, there, there was, there was absolutely zero. Um, I, I wasn't trying to attain anything because I didn't even know that, that I needed to, I see, you know, like I didn't go out on Monday morning after those meetings thinking that, that, oh, I got, I got saved and therefore I should probably not drink alcohol or whatever. Right. I, that was, that was the last thing on my mind. What was on my mind is I was thinking and, and, and pondering these, these truths that I had learned over the weekend. And I was, I was interested in reading the Bible and finding truths. And I was interested in, in seeking what God meant when he said things in his word and when, what Jesus said, and that transformed my life. You know, it wasn't, I didn't, I didn't get up out of bed on Monday morning with the idea of now I ought to live differently. Right. And yet I did. Yeah. Isn't that something? <laughs> I think often the the reverse happens when a theology or a teaching is so heavily sin focused and repentance of sin focused. Obviously you and I would both both believe that Christians ought to repent of sin and walk away from sin. Absolutely. But when when the emphasis to repent of sins is placed upon the sinner, 
it actually becomes less God-focused and more man-focused, right? So rather than drawing people's attention to the glories of the cross and the completion of the work at the cross, we now put the onus upon the individual to get rid of all your sins, repent of all these sins, and then come to God. And that's where, you know, Mike Pearl and I heard uh, Moses Schrock use this, this example too, right? You come to God with this box and you've emptied it of all your pride and arrogance and sin and lust and pornography. And here you are saying, God, I'm empty. Can you save me? Right. And it's almost like you think your emptiness and your repentance and your lack of sin will somehow impress God. But I think that's where the religious, the Jew and the Mennonite, I think, need to cease working. Right. Uh, step one to getting saved is work not, but believe. Right. So that's Amen. beautiful that you had the gospel presented so clearly like that. Mm hmm. Yeah, and that's you hit it on the head. Um, we become sin focused as if sin, uh, as somehow if we get rid of that or or change that somehow, then everything will be all right. And that's actually uh, totally wrong. What uh, um, in Philippians, what Paul said about looking to the things that are ahead, uh, looking forward towards God and uh, the things behind you, I, I believe will grow strangely dim um, as you look forward. Yeah, um, that's right. And, because that's that's how the gospel, that's how the gospel works. Right. And then even after people get saved, a lot of, I would say a huge chunk of Protestant Christianity, they get the idea of coming to God by grace through faith correct. Mm -hmm. they, they understand that the only way to get saved is to just simply trust Christ. But then they very quickly turn the Christian life into one of, uh, repentance and confession and keeping short accounts where you're constantly confessing your sins in order to get them saved where you read Hebrews especially in Hebrews 9 and 10 where it talks about there was one sacrifice made for sins forever and then Christ sat down henceforth expecting till his enemies be made his footstool this there was no seat in the Old Testament tabernacle there was no place for the high priest to sit down you know if a, if a Jew would have come in and saw the priest sitting down on a recliner maybe with his feet up, it would have been like, what are you doing? The work's not done. You can't sit down. So it says there that they stood constantly working and working and offering sacrifices every day, those things that were acceptable by God, making more sacrifice, more sacrifice. But with this man, Jesus, when he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, he ascended into heaven and he sat down, meaning the work is done. And so rather than Christianity now being like this, cycle of this treadmill of sin trying to deal with sin and repent of this one and deal with that one god's like i'm going to free you up from sin once and for all and now you'll be able to actually go out and minister you're now free from the power and the grip of it and now you can go serve your wife well now you can go raise your children well now you can go and reach the world with the gospel you don't have to be consumed with dealing with sin right that's such a beautiful complete gospel amen Amen. And, and you, you said it right. Um, that is one thing that um, I probably uh, struggled more with some of that stuff after I actually got saved, you know. Um, so I, I would say that, you know, when I got born again, uh, that was there was a radical change in my life. Anyone that knew me would would tell you that something shifted, you know. Um, and yet um, a lot of what uh, is taught today um, after that initial uh, thing they want to bring you back mm. you know and now well now now you got to deal with with who you were and get get that past taken care of and deal with that so it doesn't come back to haunt you later uh in life or whatever and uh yeah that's that's not the gospel i see so you said that it uh, took quite a while for your wife and yourself to kind of work things out even after you became a christian what could you describe that a little bit what it was it like well, um, probably, yeah, I could. Um, so one of the things, and this is just a, a real quick example. Um, one of the things that um, all of a sudden, after I got saved, I started having, uh, you know, like I said, I was thirsty and I would, I would read the Bible and I would, I would see these things and, and uh, the inconsistencies uh, in the, the rulings and the government of the church uh, that, I, that we were a part of still at that time. And uh, we'd see those inconsistencies and I would, I would start having my own opinion about how we ought to do things and, and what she ought to wear or how we ought to raise the children or how we ought to run our finances or, I mean, it could be a host of different things. All of a sudden I was where I, where I should have been from day one, 
but she had been so used to kind of filling that gap because I wasn't there mm -hmm. that it, it caused friction. And all of us, you know, all of a sudden I'd be like, no, we need to do it this way. This is, this is the proper way to be doing this. And she would rebel at that idea because she was used to taking care of it because I wasn't. Right. Um, so that was, that was one aspect of it that we had to kind of work through. And I had to gain her trust, to be honest. I mean, the, the short answer is I had to gain her trust to be uh, the leader in our home because I wasn't for, you know, 10 years. Very interesting. And you were getting uh, good, solid teaching on that as well, then about family and marriage and yeah. child training, things like that. Yeah. Yeah. We consumed, uh, <laughs> we consumed a lot of teaching, a lot of Michael Pearl's teaching, okay. uh, but others, all, others also, um, we, we were thirsty. Both, both of us were, uh, and we'd, we'd listen to anything, uh, anything that was, that we could find to listen, you know, some of it was good. Some of it probably wasn't, you know, yeah. um, but the, the, the glory of the whole matter is if we found something that we were like, Whoa, that was off. You know, we, we had the truth and the Holy spirit has kept us, uh, this far. We were never, um, you know, defiled by listening to something that wasn't quite right. Um, so, right. Yeah. The, you don't have to be afraid of it necessarily. Right. Yeah. I, I wonder sometimes about that statement that Paul makes in Corinthians, where he says, there must needs be heresies among you that they, which are approved may be made manifest. I don't know if he's encouraging that there would be some false teaching, or maybe he's just stating the fact that there is often heresies among you and it's okay. They often help those that are genuinely grounded on the truth of the gospel to kind of be approved, right? Like they're, they're not going to be led astray by some of those things. Right. And so we're, we're okay to listen to some things that we disagree with, and then we can challenge it after and, and search the scriptures to see whether those things be so, right? Yep. And, and it says, I mean, we are, we are expected to work through those things. It says, it says one place that by reason of use, our senses were exercised. Yes. And if we have, you know, and that, that's a big thing. I see that, um, that very thing, uh, people come out of a conservative setting and they have absolutely no governor. They have, they have, never had reason of use to discern between right and wrong. The, the bishop did that for them. So now all of a sudden, uh, there, there is actually a platform here that is totally safe. You know, the Holy Spirit was given us as a comforter. He, the, he had a specific uh, purpose for something that he did with us. And that is to make things true and to guide us and to keep us uh, in, in the truth. Mm. That was at least a part of it. And, you know, if we don't, if we don't, if we're not accustomed to working with that and understanding um, these, these principles, because the bishop always made up our minds for us, uh, we'd see people come out of there and they just, they don't know how to operate. Interesting. Yeah. I heard one guy once say many years ago, like in the old colony system, you could not know that you were saved. It was very clear. You could never know if you were going to heaven, if you died, that's something you only find out on the day of judgment. And then many people would come out of the old colony system, they would get some more modern or more English teaching, and they would be convinced of the fact that you can know that you're saved, but they never found out if they were actually saved. You know, uh, they, they now believe that you could know, but they didn't right. actually know themselves. And, and so there's this kind of the stereotype that if you leave the old colony, or if you leave a conservative Mennonite church, you leave the Amish, you're going to go off into the world. You're going to end up getting tattoos and piercings and wear shorts and pants and all these kinds of things. And, you know, stereotypically, it was kind of true. Mm -hmm. Someone who was restrained and given the rules constantly, they finally get free of that and they don't have the Holy Spirit to govern and guide them. Or sometimes even when they do, they do end up going way the opposite direction, right? Yes. Yeah. And that's, you know, that's that's because the church is doing something they're not supposed to do for one. Uh I, I think it's critical that we learn to operate um, with the with the word like the Bereans did, you know, mm -hmm. search the scriptures and to see see whether this thing is true or not. And uh, I really do believe personally, too, that the Holy Spirit uh, helps make us aware of a inconsistency or uh, bad teaching or something like that, where where he makes it aware like that it's not true. You know? Yeah. Um, yeah, we, we're kept by the power of God unto salvation, right? Yeah, it's not yeah. something that we are are even responsible for. This is something that God has promised to us. So He wants us to succeed much more than we want to succeed. That's, that's right. And I'm then reminded of the other passage where Paul says that um, I know that He will keep that which I've committed unto Him against that day. Right. So it's not it's not up to me to keep my brothers. And so it's interesting that. As you become free individually, your spirit gets uh, 
liberated. You get free from the penalty and the judgment and guilt of sin, and you know that you're now free before God. It also frees you from the bondage of always nitpicking and uh, governing other people, right? Where because I'm free, I can allow you to be free and we can both grow and we might grow different levels or different understandings on certain things. And that's okay. As long as our foundation is Christ. That's right. That's right. I was, um, listening to a book. Uh, it's a fairly new book. Uh, it's called, uh, uh, church history. I'm trying to, I don't know the author anymore. I was listening to it on audible, uh, seven hours long. It's a pretty thick book. And uh, I was just, I was, as I was listening, it was basically the, the church kind of laid out um, from the, uh, the resurrection of Jesus all the way up to current. Okay. And uh, it, the, it focused kind of on, on the different countries and how they, how they viewed Christianity and what they did with it, you know, the wars that were fought about it and the, the leaders that tried to squash uh, Christianity like China did or Japan or, or the different countries that were against Christianity and uh, it was, it's, it's almost unbelievable the amount of, um, of uh, pressure that, that was continually against uh, the body of Christ, God's church. Mm-hmm. And yet, here it is. You know, despite all that, yet here it is, alive and well in the present day. And uh, it's, it's not man that has brought it here. It is the power of God that has allowed this thing because what he says will come to pass. I mean, his word is going to accomplish that which it set out to do. Yeah. And uh, that to me is, is uh, comforting when I think about um, the, the church and what we do now, how that would affect our children and our grandchildren. You know, it, yeah. that takes some of the pressure off me as a dad um, knowing that if I make a mistake, if I don't do something quite, if I don't do uh, everything uh, perfectly yet, there will be salvation for them too when they come to a point where they want to talk with God and walk with him. Amen. Yeah, I know that's, that's a really good thought. That it gets, puts a lot of trust in God too, right? We're not uh, desperately trying to cling to everything. So um, maybe you could share your story of how you did finally end up coming out of that church. I mean, those are usually pretty controversial topics or, uh, or situations in your life or no? Um, yeah, to us, uh, no, it actually wasn't really, oh. um, after, after we got saved, then, um, um, we, uh, we were thirsty and, um, what, where we was going, uh, where we were going for uh, church at that time, it just, it just, we weren't getting food or water. And so we started with those couple other friends that had initially invited me to this uh, revival meeting. Um, I asked them if if I would uh, uh, prepare a little sermon or something uh, for Sunday morning and uh, and we'll prepare a meal for you. Would you come? And they were like, Hmm. yeah, absolutely. And uh, so we did Um, that Sunday. We lived right beside the Mennonite church house. And so that Sunday morning, there was three or four vehicles in our yard and we um, had church at our house. And uh, we, ever since that, we've just, and that has grown now. Um, I mean, it took a lot of twists and turns and a lot of, a lot of different people involved over the years, the last 10 years. Um, but uh, that, that's where it, that's where it came but from. That, that was not a very controversial thing. You didn't get all kinds of backlash and people uh, disowning you or being frustrated or irritated or calling you proud and all that kind of thing. <laughs> Uh, no, actually not, Dan, and I don't know why, and not huh. because I would have expected, and we expected that. Yeah. Um, I don't know whether we probably just got wrote off of, as a bunch of lunatics, and, and they just—I don't know. I actually don't know, but we actually um, got very little flack, and uh, and we were actually surprising enough, we we're well respected in the community. Interesting. Um, even even to this day. Um, um, for the disruption and uh, the the things that went on, um, like in the in the plain churches and all the f- stuff that was going on, uh, we were just always there. And we, you know, if someone needed help or needed a conversation or or whatever, we'd try to help in whatever way and 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 not not be a stumbling block. And okay. uh, I don't know, we were accepted. So yeah, it, amazingly, it was not then. Yeah, no, that's that is very surprising. In the old colony system, it was always when there was a few young people that rose up and questioned some of the the teachings of the church and wanted to understand the Bible a bit better, it was almost always they had to jump through some pretty, pretty hefty hoops, right? They was difficult to get out and to 
Uh, just do it. I remember my oldest brother, maybe my parents will listen to this. I'm not trying to badmouth them now. They're great now that they've come to understand the understanding of the gospel just really well as well. But my oldest brother uh, started studying the Bible and he would go to Bible study groups. Even after he was newly wed, my parents would go to the study where they were at and try to disrupt it out of you know fear that my brother was going to be Eliashutin. Uh, you know, they would get twisted in their mind and they would no longer understand the gospel well or understand the traditions well. And then when I became a Christian, it was probably seven or eight, nine years later, I would imagine shortly after I got saved. Same idea. My parents would call and plead with us not to go that direction, right? Because we would become one of those false prophets, the Shrefkelia and Phorizea, you know, like, don't go that direction. You're, you're going to get caught in, in a false doctrine, a false teaching. And it was very severe, not just with my parents, but the congregation as a whole. There was there was usually some pretty heavy persecution. I remember one time, shortly before I got baptized, so I wasn't at this meeting, but one of the young men had grown a beard, you know, uh, and that was very unacceptable in our church. The old colony, do you don't grow beards? And he had come to the meeting, the brothers' meeting, and just asked very humbly and politely if there was any way we could do some, you know, English Bible study or just, you know, some more understanding. And they had come up and pulled on his beard and mocked him and ridiculed him. And that was one of the things that kind of opened my mind. It was like, okay, these are the people that I think are the right good people. And I know this guy's wrong. You know, the belief that they have, the whole charity idea, second baptism, all that, it's clearly wrong. And then a friend of mine said, okay, even if these guys are wrong, can you see that the way that they were treated was wrong also? And it was like kind of like a revolutionary thought, like, well, yeah, that was clearly a bad way of treating these people. It wasn't a godly way of, of handling it, right? And why are they trying to keep them from the scriptures? That didn't make sense anymore, right? So, yeah, it, it was usually a pretty heavy persecution, certain circles especially, right? Yeah, that that is really interesting. Uh, yeah, we didn't have any of that. Uh, and again, I know that would be much more so. I'm, we're involved in a lot of different uh, Amish or ex-Amish situations. Um, and that is very common that way. But, uh, and, and my family, my, my, my immediate family is very non-confrontational. We always got along real good. And, and if, if one person thought one way, that's just kind of how we were. So, so like family wise, there was no, uh, I mean, yeah, we had conversations with my dad. He didn't like it, you know, but right. there wasn't any actually <laughs> traditionally. So the church we were going to the, the Mennonite church we were going to when we started the Bible studies and then the, the home churching thing. Um, traditionally, if you miss a certain amount of uh, church services then they would, and you, you were a member in, in, upstanding condition i guess uh after a while they would come out to visit you and see what's okay. going on that you're not showing up so that was just that's traditionally how they handled that and so they uh they showed up there um the two local ministers and one other traveling one from another state and uh so they, they uh asked me why we're no longer coming and i said well the reason that we're no longer coming to your church is because we don't believe that you uh preach the gospel uh, the way that that it should be preached. It's like um, you you tell people that they have to be a member of this church and that they have to jump through all these hoops uh, to be right with God. And that's not true, I said. Hmm. And they, they, you know, they tried to kind of make some excuses. And then I said, well, suppose you guys just tell me what the gospel is then. Suppose you guys just go ahead and tell me what the, what you think the gospel is. And they looked all down, all looked down at their toes and shuffled their feet and uh, one finally ventured a uh, an abbreviated version of the gospel, I guess, after a while. But it was only because he was put on the spot. He didn't mm. believe what he was saying anyway. You know, so there was a little bit of that kind of stuff, but not not what you're talking about. Interesting. Yeah, no. I, and uh, another friend of mine who um, he left a very, very conservative uh, Dutch reform group. So not Mennonite at all, but it was very similar there where they they have... Um, a system of belief where there's a church of 2000 plus people in this local town here and uh of the 2000 plus people from what i've heard and i'm just going by hearsay maybe six or ten of them would go up to partake in communion the rest knew that they were not saved only those select few who had been chosen by god like they were very hardcore calvinists right the five points of calvinism yeah. and uh if you were not brought through the ringer and shown like some miraculous thing and called and chosen, you know, all these 
they would they would be considered hyper Calvinists, where you can't get saved unless God does something to you, and only very very few people would ever experience that. If you were to say at the age of twenty five or thirty that you were a Christian, they would very much question whether that was legitimate because. I didn't see any crazy, crazy things happen to you. I didn't see God strike you, so to speak, right? And I might be putting words into their mouth here a little bit, but a friend of ours stepped out and came to our church, and he had uh, quite an ordeal when the ministers came to visit him, and they really, really put the pressure on him. He was quite the outcast, and it took quite a while for his friends and family to kind of come around to the fact that he was he was not going to be there. You know, they they really struggled with it. They knew that they were not saved. But if, if you have a chance to be saved, it's much better here than out there. So, Sure, that, that is interesting. So, um, so the old colony, like when you left that system, um, they, would have, they would have believed that you're leaving God then pretty much or not? Uh, it depends on who you talk to. If you were to go back to Mexico or to Bolivia or some of those places, they would probably be so bold. But I've talked to men recently who came out of the old colony and who had a relationship with some of the ministers there. I didn't. I left when I was quite young, 20 years old, I think. And I wasn't saved when I left. I got saved about a year or a few months later. Um, but a friend of mine recently I talked to, he said he sat down with some of the preachers who were kind of his peers now. They were, you know, late 30s, early 40s. And uh, they totally understood. They, they were totally understanding that, okay, well, if you need more truth or better understanding for your children, your children need to comprehend this, they were fine with it. But, and, and so the, I don't think most of them would say that you've completely left God. But for me, probably the most controversial thing was I left Old Colony, so did my parents. Um, but then I went to the charity style church, which they were very abrasive. They were very in the face of people calling people to repentance and out on the streets preaching and that kind of thing. And one of the things that they really emphasized was believers baptism. So if you got saved after being baptized at a Mennonite church, they would very much encourage you need to be baptized again. And I started hearing teaching like this and it just became so obvious to me that I was a child of the devil, according to first John. You know, I didn't have any hope in me. I had no life in me. I didn't know the gospel. I had been baptized and sprinkled at that um, without any clear understanding of the gospel. And so when I got saved, I needed to be baptized. Um, and so that was extremely controversial. Like it terrified my parents. My mom had nightmares and she called and pled with us because one of the things growing up was second baptism was somehow equated with the unpardonable sin. How exactly they came to that conclusion, I still can't quite put my finger on. There's some ideas I've heard, but that was kind of the teaching, that the one thing that you could never be forgiven for is if you got baptized a second time. I think they would believe that the first time you got baptized, the Holy Spirit was there. You committed yourself to God. And now if you do it a second time, then that means you're denying the Spirit of God was there the first time. And so now you're blaspheming him, right? And so that was terrifying for my parents. And I, you know, I pitied them to a degree, but it also seemed like it kind of opened the doors eventually, right? Now my parents were very open to the truth and uh, we have great conversations and Bible study and all kinds of good things have happened since. But that was very, very controversial as to be baptized a second time, so to speak. That's interesting. Yeah. Yeah, we didn't we didn't have any of that. Uh, the only thing that that bugged um, or bothered my, my family really was that, uh, that we left our for spraying, like, in other words, they would have, they would have, they were afraid that, that when we, you know, when we joined that horse and buggy Mennonite church, you know, we said that we, we agreed to, um, this church and that we, that we were agreed to be a part of it. So they were, they would have said that we, we broke our promise Oh yes. uh, by, by leaving. Um, but, and, and I talked with that about this at length. And I said, I am not leaving God. Uh, you know, maybe I'm leaving this uh, particular setting, but I'm not, I'm not, I'm not interested in leaving God. What I, you know, I wasn't born again, don't get me wrong, but I wasn't rebelling and, and, and no longer being a part of God's existence kind of a thing. Right. And he kind of understood that I think. And, and he was, like I said, it was, there was no, no phone calls like that for sure. Okay. Yeah, I know there's there's some things that you kind of uh, promise when you get baptized, when you become a member, that I don't even know for sure what I said yes to. I, I'm not <laughs> fully cognizant of that. And one of them they would say is that you promise to be faithful to this church. I've heard some people go back to those words and say it actually says faithful to the church of God, 
which, you know, we could still argue and say, well, obviously I'm, I'm more faithful to the church of God now than I was before. Right. So it's, mm -hmm. it's not, uh, it's not a contradiction there. Right. Right. Yep. So you guys have eight children, right? We have nine children, nine children. Okay. I knew it was, a, I thought it was one more than us, but it's two more than us. And your oldest is 21. Uh, just soon. Yep. Okay. And none of them are married yet. Nope. Nope. Okay. So you still have a big, busy, full household. Yeah. Yeah. We, uh, we had, uh, we just bought an acreage, um, where we live right now, but we moved there last fall. And, uh, so we live out there with our nine children and yeah, we're busy. Um, our oldest one is actually, he's, uh, he works, he works for me, uh, here in my auction company. And, uh, but he's moving down to, uh, Kentucky, um, actually next week. Oh. Um, I'm, I'm going where him and I are going to the, uh, prison crusade um in alabama um next weekend we'll be um, playing softball in a bunch of prisons down there with a bunch of other people and then on the way back he'll stay in kentucky and i'll come on home oh what's in kentucky uh we have some friends in kentucky um that uh matter of fact that was uh one of the families that was really instrumental in 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 my story um they ended up moving down to kentucky about uh, two or three years ago oh okay. so we uh we we enjoy uh, spending time with them. So so he's gonna he's gonna move there. Yeah, he's gonna move his uh, his good friend. Uh, they play volleyball a lot together. Okay, um, lives down there, of course. And so he just bought a house that needs uh, needs to be re redone, a fixer upper. And mm -hmm. so my son's gonna help him um, in his spare time and and stay there at that house. And uh, well, he's got a job lined up with a gutter company that does rain gutters. Oh my! So your life's going to change a little bit with your oldest son being gone. Yeah, that. Yeah, he'll leave a big hole. He was a very instrument instrumental part in our business. Um, I do have we have about a dozen or so employees um, here, so uh, we can carry on. But yeah, it was nice having having them. My oldest daughter, she's the one that set up this audio equipment. She likes electronics and gadgetry and all that good stuff. So nice. uh, she helps. She does all the graphic design and the ads and all the. Uh, all the digital stuff for our auction business. She works for me full time too. So yeah, that's, and, that's a good. And then you've got from 20 all the way down to what's your youngest? Youngest one's one. Okay. Uh, uh, a boy. And uh, just above him is a set of twin boys. Oh, um, I see. They're five. And uh, then the one above that is adopted. I have a brother who had a, a lot of children and uh, got into drugs. Oh, I see. Stuff in the state ended up taking his children. So myself and some of my siblings adopted some of his. So. Oh, that's, that's rough. It's rough and it's good. Yeah, no, I mean, <laughs> yeah, I mean it's, it's, it's a blessing that they're in a stable, happy home, right? Mm -hmm. So your business has become successful over the last few years and your marriage has become sweet and beautiful, I hope. Mm -hmm. It is. Yeah, we, we're, uh, we're blessed. Very blessed. Oh, that's good to hear. Mm -hmm. Very well. So, I mean, I, I really hope to be able to sit down and talk over much more of this. We're planning to come to Iowa there in July. I'm excited for that. Then. Yeah, it should be a good time. <laughs> I think we're not hundred percent certain if the older three children will be able to come. They, uh, they all have farm jobs and they end up doing weekends. They, uh, they, some of them sell at a market and, um, my oldest son who just turned 16, he works, uh, for a lawn care company and on Saturdays is their big cleaning day. So he, sprays down all the equipment and all that kind of stuff. So we're not 100% sure if the oldest three will be able to come, but uh, definitely looking forward to meeting some new folks. Yeah, yeah, that'll be uh, that'll be very interesting um, to uh, there. I think we already have uh, 70 or 80 people registered now um, for this uh, camp here that we're going to have in July. And uh, so, yeah, we're looking for a lot of people. And we know there's another three or four families that haven't registered yet that are coming. Um, so it'll be a, it'll be a pretty good crowd. I think the way it's looking right now. Yeah. I think if you, and especially if this kind of gets heard a little bit too, and more, uh, online sharing of that, we might all of a sudden have a big camp. Who knows? Yeah. I, I, Hey, we can hold about uh, 300 people. So we'll see, there we go. we'll see what shows up. Uh, probably not that many, but, um, yeah, it'll be, it'll be a good time. Excellent. Well, I won't take up any more of your Sunday afternoon. I do appreciate you spending time with me and, uh, sharing a bit of your story. I think it will, uh, touch a few former Mennonite people as well. Amen. Yeah. Anything? Well, I appreciate your ministry. I, I, uh, I really, uh, really like listening to your videos that you do. 
Well, that's, it's very, uh, I don't know, how do you say it, humbling, but exciting to see, you know, I, I originally thought I would just interview kind of local people in our Elmer community and just kind of share with people that, hey, there's ordinary average people around us here that know the gospel. They might just be the construction worker down the road or the truck driver. And, and now slowly some of the Amish and the former Amish and uh, other Mennonite type groups are hearing about it too. Even some of the Hutterites out West and in Ontario or in uh, Alberta and Saskatchewan and stuff. So it's very exciting for me to be able to see a little bit more of our same type of people, but from different flavors, but also all coming to understand the gospel, right? It's beautiful. Amen. Yep. Keep looking to Jesus. Keep looking to the word. Yes, the, uh, the solution to your problems isn't in the past. It's in the future. Amen. <laughs> Amen. Hey, anything else you had wanted to add something you were hoping to touch on or no, I think you uh, got it covered. Good. All right. Appreciate it, man. All right. You have a good day. God bless you.